Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 56. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we're going to be getting into the risks of bonds in a low interest rate environment. You know, as another year came to an end, a lot of people talking about, hey, how did the 60-40, 60% equity, 40% bonds do? But also, at these interest rates, we're also seeing durations increase, and when durations increase, sensitivity to interest rates are there again. And recently, I've heard some talk on CNBC, on Bloomberg, Fox Business about, hey, are bonds overvalued? Are they undervalued? Is the end of the 60-40 portfolio near? And why is it that at such low rates, really, uh, you know, bonds, owning bonds take on some of the interest rate risk akin to the same thing of, of kind of short selling, where you've got unlimited risk to the upside, but limited gain to the downside. And I'm not saying that bonds are the same as, let's say, shorting a stock. We did an episode, of course, last week on the idea of the short selling, the, the mechanics behind it, what some of the terms mean around Tesla. But just bonds, when interest rates are this low, there's sort of a natural level that they can, at least rate-wise, they can go down to. And so when we look at the return of stocks versus bonds, we know last year was pretty good. Uh, it was you know 2019 in stocks. The total return was around 31%. Of course, total return accounts for not only your uh, return, but it also accounts for any, um, you know, any, any dividends that get paid out and things like that. But also bonds had a pretty good year. And one of the proxies that we use to look at uh, bonds, we can look at, let's say, the, the Bloomberg Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index. What does that mean? Well, the AGG, Apple, George, George. Those probably aren't the right phonetic or, or uh, words that are, that are normally associated with those, but uh, they work for me. The AGG last year was up about 8.68% on a total return basis. And we'll get into a little bit about what the AGG is, but just think of it, it's, it's a U.S. bond index. Uh, it's you know basically the, the investment grade bond market. And it has any number of things as treasuries, as corporate bonds. But its total return was 8.68%. And so you had stocks going up 31%. You had bonds going up 8.68%. Both really good years, uh, especially considering how low interest rates are. But if we look at 2018, we had stocks down you know, somewhere around – Oh, 5% or so on a total return basis, including dividends. Uh, without dividends, it would have been down more. But in 2018, the AGG, the U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, was actually down fractionally. It was down negative 0.05%. And so actually bonds did better than stocks, but neither had a positive total return in 2018. And that's one of the sort of the outlier things that happened in 2018, but also potentially could happen going forward. Not saying it, it will, but that's one of the risks out there that we'll talk about. And so 2018 was actually, from my memory, the first time that the aggregate bond index, the U.S. aggregate bond index and stocks on a total return basis were actually negative in the same year. That normally is not the case. Uh, in fact, 
You know, even if you go back to let's say 2008, 2009, when stocks were down, bonds were up, you know, five and three quarters, five percent, respectively, in those timeframes as well. So that's uh, that's sort of one of the ways that you can look at that. Of course, the 60/40 portfolio, where you're thinking about 60% large cap equities, 40%, you know, something like the AGG. Um, that is one of those things that uh, people feel like has worked for a long time. But there are some challenges in these low rate environments, and we'll get into those as well. So when we think about interest rates and bonds, and what are, what's really the risk to bonds? Well, currently, as we record this, the 10-year Treasury bond uh, was only about 1.58%, so I'll just call it one, just under 1.6%. That's come down a bit. Uh, I can remember in in December of 2018, we had the 10-year, you know, more uh, hovering around the 3% range. And so rates have actually come down. But the risk in a bond is really tied directly to, to interest rates. And the reason why interest rates play such a big part in the price of a bond is that you've actually got, you know, when you price a bond out, it comes down to the present value of all of its cash flows. And so bonds typically pay interest you know, twice a year on a semi-annual basis. Bonds also, their market value can go up or down prior to its you know, maturity date, excluding defaults, meaning if it defaults, it can't pay its interest or the bond goes bad. But assuming no defaults, which is certainly a risk in bonds, uh, you've got uh, you've got these bonds that are paying cash flows twice a year, and then at some point they mature, and they mature at par value. Par value means a thousand dollars. So, you know, when a bond comes out, it's issued theoretically at par at a thousand. It goes up or down in market value depending upon uh, the amount of time until uh, maturity, and and depending upon interest rates. But then it also pays these cash flows. So bonds. It seems it can be a little bit complicated in how it's com- how it's compounded or how it's uh, it's calculated, rather, should I say? But the reality is, a bond is simply uh, its price is a, a derivation of its present value of cash flows and present value of its price uh, compared to what it will mature at. And so that's the reason why, as interest rates go up, theoretically bond prices go down. As interest rates go down, bond prices go up. And so that's a, that's a major point or major source of the risk around bonds. So one of the components of what makes up the, the risk to bonds, it's not only the, when we say duration, duration is really about the sensitivity to interest rates. And so think about it this way. Normally people think about, well, if I buy a 30-year bond, I have 30 years to duration. That's not actually true. Just like if, if you say, well, I buy a bond with 10 years to maturity, my duration's 10 years. The reason why that isn't true is because bonds pay cash flows and they pay that via the coupon you know, twice a year. And those cash flows affect the sensitivity to interest rates. And so to think about this, if you buy a 10-year bond and you say, well, what theoretically would it go up or down for every 1% change in interest rates? You would want to know something about what's called the modified duration. Some people just call it, you know, effective duration or duration. So, to give an example on this, let's say you have a ten-year bond, 
and its coupon rate is 10.39%. Why 10.39? Why not something else? I had it inputted in a spreadsheet that I'm going to tell you about. And the required return is 10.39%. And so the the bond is priced at exactly par $1,000. Why? Because it's not above 1,000, not below 1,000. Because your, your coupon rate, your annualized coupon rate is exactly the same as the required amount of interest in the market right now. What's the market rate of interest for that, that uh, duration of bond? So if you run, let's say, a modified duration, the modified duration in years is not 10. It's a little over 6. It's about 6.13. And so given, given you know a 1% move up or a 1% move down, you theoretically would expect around, you know, a plus six, minus six uh, change. I mean, if interest rates went up, the bond price would go down. What's interesting, though, is that if we take that 10.39% rate of interest and we change it instead to a 1.5% coupon rate, 1.5% market rate of interest right now, bonds still trading at 1,000, we've got 10 years till maturity, same as the other one. But in this instance, the modified duration is over nine. It's about nine and a quarter, 9.25. So that means unlike the prior bond, which is a little over six, for every 1% up or down in interest rates, assuming the same about duration of 10 years, you would expect to make or lose you know, plus or minus 9%. The actual numbers work a little bit differently because you have something called convexity. It's beyond the scope of uh, our broadcast today. And the reason why I bring this up is that when you have rates that are really low, uh, that extends the duration, meaning your, your duration or your sensitivity to interest rates is a little bit closer to the actual maturity duration. And in fact, when you look at negative yield to maturity bonds in Europe, essentially those, those maturities or those sensitivities to interest rates on a duration basis are much closer, almost equal in many cases, uh, pretty much equal to their actual duration. So if you have a 30-year bond with a negative yield to maturity, pretty much you've got a 30-year duration from an interest rate sensitivity standpoint. And that those calculations get a little bit crazier. So basically when you have a bond, a bond is, again, it's, it's price based upon its present value, uh, you know, discount, future cash flows discounted down to the present and, and future return of capital at maturity discounted down to the present. And you come up with the present value of the bond. And the lower the rates and the longer the maturity, the higher the, the duration or the sensitivity to interest rates. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing uh, bonds definitely have a higher duration, but they're paying lower rates. They're paying lower yields. So one of the things you can take a look at if we go back to this AGG, the, um, it's actually the iShare of the core U.S. aggregate bond ETF, its uh, its average yield right now is a little bit over two percent, so two percent annual, excluding you know market value change. And remember what we just talked about of why market value would change. That's interest rate changing going up or down. Uh, you'd expect to receive just above two percent, and the duration on this is a little bit under six years right now, and so that kind of tells you what the interest rate risk is of this portfolio. If you go up 1% 1 in rates, assuming the same effective duration, you'd expect to lose you know, just under 6% on that portfolio. And same thing if, the, if interest rates went down. Uh, you could 
you can make generally right about the uh, the effective duration. So that yield is is pretty low right now. Uh, a fascinating thing to look at though, and you can look at this in uh, BNDX, Boy Nancy David X-ray, and that's the Vanguard Total International Bond ETF. This one is based upon a global aggregate XUS dollars, uh, float adjusted, uh, there's a bunch of terms in this. Basically, this is the AGG equivalent. If you wanted to look at the rest of the world, X, uh, you know, world bond fund XUS. So there are no US bonds in there. And this one's uh, annualized yield is only about 0.7% right now. So it is, uh, it's pretty low. And especially given where inflation is. So actually, you're on a real return basis, your yield to maturity on this one is below its negative real return. And its effective maturity or duration, let's say average duration, is about 8.1 years. So this one's interesting because you've got a number, I don't know the exact percentage of the portfolio, but a lot of these these bonds are actually negative yielding to maturity bonds, meaning in theory, you give your money, uh, you buy one of these, you'll get back less than you paid for right now, and, and your average, and your yields maturity is actually negative. So, and by the way, that I've done a, I'll link to a whole episode I did on negative yielding bonds, and uh, I think I actually termed it wacky negative yielding uh, bonds, but uh, there's reasons why people would buy them, and, and indices or uh, products that have that hold, let's say, world bonds like this, they would be buying these sometimes pensions. So I'll I'll refer to that because I go into much more detail into that episode. So thinking back to the the underlying thing is the risk of bonds and why do you hear people saying bonds are overvalued? I'm not saying they are, or they aren't. Um, you know, look, people have been wrong about the direction of interest rates for many years. Uh, we know ever since post crisis, 2008, 2009. The U.S. Federal Reserve Bank has kept interest rates very low, but uh, people have been predicting the rise of rates or some normalization of rates, getting you know the ten-year Treasury closer to five or six percent, and it just hasn't happened. We've had lower rates. Uh, in fact, we've had we have negative rates in places most of Europe, developed Europe. We have uh, negative rates in Japan, and that is below, obviously, the U.S. Uh, Treasury rates. So people have been wrong about the direction on this. Um, I would say, you know, I wouldn't make a prediction on what I think rates are going to do. But the purpose of this is just to understand that ever since 1981, you know, May or April, March of 81, you actually could have bought not only a 10-year, but a 30-year U.S. Treasury bond yielding close to, you know, 15% annual, you know, rate of uh, coupon. Imagine that. You buy one of those, you get a uh, 15% a year, uh, still federal tax, but uh, depending upon your state, you would, I believe you get no state tax on that, no city tax. Uh, I mean, for the next 30 years, you could have gotten above historical equity, nominal equity returns just on bonds. And the point of bringing that up is we had this high point of rates in March of 81 after the late 70s and the run-up in rates and the higher inflation and literally for you know 35, 40 years now, uh, we've had uh, you know 30. I guess that's about 37, 37, 39 years now. Wow, 39 years we've had a falling rate environment. And I just explained that as 
rates come down, bond prices go up. So if you're holding, let's say, a bond mutual fund every year, if you're rebalancing every year in, let's say, a 60-40 portfolio, the wind has been at your back for almost 40 years where falling rates have helped uh, total returns of bonds because not only do you get the coupon, which have been higher for you know, many years than they are today, but you also get the, the change in market value. And so that's one of the reasons why people look at this current environment and say, you know, it, although Europe has told us that there's no longer a zero bound floor, a zero percent interest rate floor, they've gone negative. Uh, so who knows how negative they actually could be. But most people would say, well, I don't think we're going to see a change from positive 15 to, you know, positive 1.5, the difference, let's say, in the tenure over that time. Uh, could we really see a difference of positive 1.5 to, you know, negative 13% interest rates? And most people would, would agree that's probably not going to happen. But that's the reality of, of the, the monumental change that we've seen over that time. And so a lot of people point at bonds and say, there's only so much they could go negative. And remember, when interest rates go down, bond prices go up. And so a lot of people point to the fact that bonds right now have low yields, have low coupons, and that the marginal benefit of rates going down is a little bit limited because they can't really go or they shouldn't go down that, that far negative. So in that regard, and, and there's actually been some other studies too, over the longer term when you hold bonds, uh, theoretically, you should average around what the coupon is. And so if you're holding the AGG and it's about 2%, or you're holding, let's say, U.S. Treasuries, you buy Treasuries and you know, the yield is about 1.5%, on an annualized basis over a long period, you should pretty much expect uh, a return equal to around the coupon. And so that's one of the things that when people look at a 60-40 portfolio, they say, wait a second, you know, I, I realize, I get the fact that I'm holding bonds, and in theory, if stocks are doing bad, and I'm holding treasuries with longer duration, that they there should be a flight to, to quality, a, a place to hide out. But the holding cost of these, meaning what you get prior to that benefit, just isn't really that high. So um, that's one of the that's one of the challenges there. The other thing to keep an eye on is, I said the convexity was beyond the scope of this conversation. It really is. It's quite complicated. But when we think about convexity, convexity is, is another way of saying, if I have a fund that's holding a bunch of bonds, in theory, if interest rates go down, will I see my duration go up or will it go down? And one of the things that a lot of funds have is they have what's called callable bonds. Callable bonds are simply, let's say you're XYZ Corporation or ABC Corporation, two completely fictitious corporations, right? But they issue a bond. Uh, they might put on there some something of a call provision, meaning let's say they issue a 20-year bond uh, and they start to have call provisions maybe in year three or year four, and they say, we can call it at par or some price above par. We can call that back in from the bondholders. And so let's say you know they issue a bond at 7% and all of a sudden interest rates now in the market for same uh, you know U.S. corporate bonds, same uh, credit rating, same duration, all that stuff, or three percent. So the corporation says, "Thank you very much. I'll, I'll pay to, you know, close out this bond, give the money back early, call in the bonds because I can change it from a seven percent interest rate to a three percent interest rate and save some money there." So especially with lower interest rates, 
um, a lot more of the percentages of bonds are callable in portfolios. And you can generally, you know, if you're holding a, an ETF, you're holding a mutual fund, you can, you can tell this. But I bring this up because what happens is, let's say that rates went way down, but you've got a bunch of callable bonds in your portfolio or in a fund that you're holding. What happens is uh, the benefit, the market value gain benefit when interest rates go down is a little bit capped. Why is that? Well, because the corporations, if they have call provisions and they can issue reissue their bonds at much lower rates, they're actually going to call those in. And so they tend not to go up as much in value because they're priced to, to call, meaning, you know, if if they couldn't be called in, you would say, well, interest rates went down. It's You just told me it's the present value of the cash flows and, and the return of capital on par. Uh, but if if we're pricing this like it would get called back at its, its call price, so maybe its call price is, you know, 101, meaning 1,010 or 1,020, whatever it is, um, they tend to price more there. I bring that up and it gets a little bit uh, difficult to understand because she gets into convexity. Convexity is not easy, folks, especially if you haven't done a lot of calculations around bonds. Uh, but I bring this up because depending upon the type of portfolio, uh, if you think interest rates are going to go down precipitously and you've got a bunch of callable bonds in there, you may or may not actually realize uh, the benefit that you think you'll realize based upon that. So it gets a little bit complicated there, uh, but it's it's worth bringing up. So Back to the original question. Why is the people saying that bonds are overvalued? Why are they saying they're undervalued? And why do people buy bonds at such low interest rates? Well, some funds obviously have to, you know, they're a bond fund, they buy these. Uh, but if you think interest rates are going to go down further, then you might think that the market values would increase. Uh, people who feel like interest rates can't go down materially um, on a percentage change basis like they have, might say, look, you know, interest rates would have to go really negative to get the same type of bang for your buck as you did all these years when rates were coming down for 15% on the U.S. Treasury until now. Um, and so that's part of the reasons why they look at that. They say durations are up, yields are down. And when you go back to the whole 60-40 portfolio where you're holding 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, you start to think, well, is the the juice worth the squeeze? Is the the interest rates that you're the coupons that you're getting, is it worth the duration risk or interest rate risk? And by the way, interest rates may stay where they are. They might go a little bit lower. And in that case, um, you know your bonds will do just fine as they did in 2019 when interest rates dropped from their levels of December of 2018 to where they were towards uh, throughout 2019 when you saw uh, again an up year in there. So. Just understand the risk of bonds and understand theoretically if you're holding bonds and you have sort of an average yield right now, um, what does that mean long term? And what are alternatives? And and this is why uh, we did an episode on sort of the the myth of the 60-40 portfolio where we addressed a lot of alternatives to that classical 60-40 portfolio where you hold 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Because there are alternatives and there's hedging that you can do and there's um, there's different strategies that will allow a little bit more equity exposure but limit the downside. So those are all interesting things to happen. I'm going to link to a bunch of uh, episodes that I've done on negative yielding to maturity bonds on the myth of the 60-40 portfolio and another couple episodes that you might find interesting. Uh, by the way, before we uh, 
we go. Uh, the uh, I just ask everybody, rather than waste time rating and reviewing these episodes, go ahead and share this with somebody. Uh, put it in an email. Share it. Uh, maybe somebody has not been exposed to podcasts before. Uh, go ahead and do that if you think uh, this is interesting and, and it might help some people. Uh, I'd prefer that you share it than rate it and review it and waste time doing that. And the other thing I would say is uh, keep the emails coming. I'd uh, love to hear, hear from listeners. Uh, you can reach me at uh, razorwealth.com and the contact uh, icon. Go ahead and send me a note uh, and let me know any ideas for future episodes. This episode today actually came from a listener who said, why are people saying that bonds are overvalued? What does that mean? So that would be a good episode to do. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week.